0: Hello and welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org.
1: We're your host, I'm Kirsten Heinz. Hey, Kirsten. Welcome back. Thank I'm, you.
2: I'm Joey Boudreaux.
1: And I'm Sarah Blakemore.
2: In today's episode, we'll be talking to our friends at the Gift of Life Michigan about their multicultural outreach program.
1: And we'll be talking about how to manage your workplace stress. Let's get to it.
0: In this episode, we're excited to have a colleague of ours from the Gift of Life Michigan. Ms. Ramona Chapman is the Community Outreach Manager and MOTEP Director. And Ms. Ramona, how you doing? I am doing well. How are you? We're doing great. So I have to tell you, I got excited. I was on Facebook one night and something popped up, uh, a live feed that you guys were doing. And it looked like you were conducting town hall meetings and that you have some program called Let's Talk, and I was I was talking to my colleagues. I said, This this looks interesting. I want to find out more about this. So and we
2: like to talk, so mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great. <laughs> we certainly got the gift of the gab over here. <laughs> 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 well, you know, the great thing about it, you probably saw our, our live feeds from a couple of things. We had dialogue circles and uh, with our let's talk, because again, that's the whole kind, that's the whole purpose of it is to really create an opportunity for conversation and exchange about such an important and critical issue in our community, such as organ and tissue donation. And so those particular dialogue circles were very uh, unique to to certain uh, ethnic communities because we wanted people to really uh, get into and have a deep dive conversation about, what they had heard about organ and tissue donation, how we could get them more engaged and become ambassadors for organ and tissue donation, to have recipients and donor family members share their stories. And so we just kind of wanted to, again, engage and and say, you know, let's talk about this and let's continue to save lives and honor life through donation as we do it. That's incredible. So
0: what did you guys find out from from some of these? Because this is a, a real in-person grassroots getting to the it sounds like you really can get to some of the deeper issues that maybe we don't get on the surface when we're just kind of at a health fair talking to people
3: right. yes yes well one of the things that people uh, that we kept hearing in every community and we really focused on the african-american the arab american and the latino communities and one of the things people kept saying is that we want to understand the process we want you to take us behind the scenes at Gift of Life Michigan. What happens behind those walls? What happens when you, know, you all first get the call or when you first sign up on the Oregon Donor Registry at the Secretary of State's office? Tell us what is going on. And so as a result of that, that's what we did. We were able to uh, do a video entitled uh, the, the Donation Process that uh, starts right again when people sign up to become an organ and tissue donor and to take them and, and to bring them into our house and to Gift of Life Michigan, take them behind the scenes and have them talk with every every uh, department within our organization. We wanted to be represented to let them know that there are a lot of people that you don't see that are behind the scenes and, and that are really making this thing happen. So that was one of the things that people really wanted to, to say is you know show us the process. Um, once again they want you know again let's demystify it what happens the process that's great and then they wanted to say you know we want to hear things in um, in our own languages we mm. want people that talk that are talking to us um, for instance in Arabic and in Spanish we want people that look like us to become uh, that are just sharing messages so that once again those questions that people might feel uncomfortable asking at a health fair. You know, when you come home and you sit down and you're sitting across the table from somebody or you're sitting in a mosque or you're sitting in a temple or in a church, you can have those intimate conversations that you might feel uncomfortable, like you say, having at a health fair.
0: Yeah, I think that we've uh, noticed that in in our community as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been uh, trying to do more outreach in the Latino community. Mm -hmm. And um, I know, Sarah, you've been working uh, to try to get better translation you right.
1: You? Yeah, you know, it just it sounds like what the um, what the community really wants is more transparency, which will lead to trust. So they want someone like you said, who looks like them, who speaks like them, who uses their language, um, so that they can trust you and that they understand what or because I think everybody thinks organ donation is a good thing. But I think a lot of people don't know what goes into it. And so I think that's amazing that y'all are doing that. It sounds like you're meeting the community where they're asking you to meet them.
3: And I think that's so important. And and you know, and, and for instance, like after we you know did our first year of the campaign and we're going into the second year of the campaign now, we did like a, a breakfast because we wanted to also report back out, out to people that came to our launch exactly what we were doing and what we had done um, last year because we wanted them to understand, we heard what you said, we have responded to the requests that you've made and now we need you to help us, that, that this is a, a way for all of us to get together and to make an impact, that we as an organ procurement organization, uh, yes, we are here to honor life through donation. We serve as the stewards. But we need you to help us steward those particular gifts because you're the best messengers out there in the community and, and talking to people. And even we started even doing two, you know more tours within our organization so people could once again come in and find out what really happens uh, in these walls. And so what happens is people are just amazed Mm -hmm. of the uh, love and the care and the reverence that goes into organ and tissue donation. And so, you know, they they become our best spokespersons What is what we really want. And we wanted people to to hit people at all different types of levels. And so part of the Let's Talk, you know, not only did we have a launch where we had you know, physicians and um, influencers within the city, but we also wanted to make it, you know, very um, interactive for people on social media. So we did a My Donor Story uh, on social media, where we asked people, you know, just do a one minute video and, and post it on your social media page and have your friends to like it and have those persons to share it. Let's just have this message just continue to become, Um, you know, just to, to, to just reach out and have a ripple effect. Because what we know is that as that message gets out and people are able to respond to some of their friends on Facebook and say, well, Hey, I didn't know this, or I didn't know this, or I had this question. Then it just kind of takes, you know, some of the layers, you just peel some of the layers back and really continues to have a dialogue, which is what we really wanted. And, you know, and let's talk.
0: So what, uh, you said a one-minute video. My donor are those for just recipients talking about their donors, or why did you call it that?
3: We call it because we, it it was recipients sharing about their donor story. It could be mm-hmm. recipients, it could be don- a donor family. Mm-hmm. We even had some people that said, you know, hey, my story is that I'm waiting, and this is how it feels to wait, um, and this is the impact that it has on my family. This is the impact it has on my life as I wait. And so what we what we wanted to sh- to share, and also I think we had something where people share as caregivers. So we wanted to say everybody's involved in this particular process. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story, you know, if if you're a, a child and your parents haven't been able to play with you because, you know, um, they're they have to go to dialysis or, you know, yeah. they're they're short. Um, winded because uh, they need a transplant, a heart transplant, a lung transplant, and they can't participate in the, in those day to day activities. And now they get a transplant, and that you know they're able to do something. Or what happens to a young person who is 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 waiting for a transplant, and they can't participate in sports, and they can't do all of the other things that sometimes are associated with kids just growing up. And so what we wanted to do was to see and continue to do is to see that we can bring in every aspect of life Mm -hmm. um, through this whole story of let's talk about organ and tissue donation. Yeah, And as much as we talked about organ, really putting a face in it and even talking more and more about tissue donation and saying, okay, you know, uh, what happens when a person now gets a cornea transplant and they can, you know, see their loved ones completely different or see a sunrise or a sunset. So we have just been really trying to, you know, make this message um, as inclusive as possible. So
2: it sounds like a, a, just an incredible program. I, I love all the aspects, all the facets of it. Uh, so I, if I can take take me back to the beginning, I guess. So you talked about a lack of trust. You talk about, you know, the uh, the transparency that you guys were able to provide. And, and just to echo a couple of things, even that Kirsten and. Sarah spoke about, you know, at, at healthcare. Is, of course, you know, it's it's a lot more surface level type questions that we get. How did you guys uh, spark the interest of those that had the least trust to be able to build the trust enough to have these difficult conversations, ask these tough questions of you guys, as opposed to the ones that are just kind of easier softball questions?
3: Well, um, we really uh, we, we we partnered with a group called Legacy Communications, and we. Uh, basically, advertised to do focus groups. And what we wanted to do was, you know, do focus groups in various communities. We didn't want people coming to us. We wanted to go into their community and we wanted it to do around uh, uh, fellowship and food. And so uh, we got uh, media personalities involved and we did these focus groups. And as a result of the focus groups, uh, that that really became the roadmap to what our next steps were going to do. And that's when we would say we would do these dialogue circles once again in the community. Well, I like that. I think trust is, I'm sorry. I was
0: going to say, I like the idea of fellowship and food. I know down here, <laughs> yes. food will get you. <laughs> that's yeah. right. I, th- I think we yeah. just figured out the secret to your success. <laughs> there you go.
3: There you go. Food works every time. Food works every time. But, uh, you know, really again, because what we wanted to do was really create a very informal atmosphere. And to have people to just really tell us what was on their minds, what was on their hearts. Um, And so I think that, and also realizing that trust is something that is constantly evolving. And so, as many aspects that we needed to bring in, if we needed to bring in the faith aspect, uh-huh. we wanted to bring that in. If we needed to bring in, um, you know, uh, a transplant surgeon, we brought that aspect in. If we needed to bring in um, a community um, spokesperson or advocate or someone else, we brought that particular aspect in. We needed to bring in donor families. And we had people that were really just, you know, and, you know, we haven't been able to get everybody in, Yeah. but what we have, but what we know is that is, you know, the more that we cast our net wider, mm-hmm. more people will come in and, That's you know, awesome. uh, really saying that, you know, you know, we, we talked about something called influencers and, you know, not only are these people that are high profile people, you know, so, uh, sometimes the greatest influencer is going to be somebody's grandmother. Because whatever she says, or grandfather, whatever they say, that is going to be it. And so really just trying to say that we want to have as many touch points as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And even having, you know, again, having our CEO talk about the, the, um, the whole Gift of Life Michigan team and family and how we are here to like work in concert with each other to make sure that uh, we honor life through donation that's that's our core purpose here yeah and to see how we're living that out uh daily and so I think it's just an ongoing process because for every sometimes for every layer you pull back Uh uh-huh you discover there are three others (laughs) that you didn't know about about. (laughs) that's actually what my next question was going to be
0: in doing these focus groups you know In the donation community, we seem to have the same myths that come up over and over again. Did you get any new insights or did the priority of, you know, some of the myths and misconceptions change uh, from your time? You know, because you've been you've been in the donation community quite a while.
3: I've been in here for a while. I think the um, the only one that I think that kept rising to the to the top was the process that people just were uh, sometimes did not understand the process. And sometimes because of the different myths and misinformation that gets out here, you know, and every once in a while while you're in the midst of a campaign, an urban myth will pop up and you'll have to address it. And what we've learned is that not to back away from those opportunities, um, because what people want to make sure of is that we're willing to exhaust any question and any concern that they have to the maximum. And if we're not able to, you know, get that particular answer, you know, to have um, a, a donor family member talk about it, like for instance, a lot of times people have said, um, and still say, you know, people won't try as hard to save my life as long as I've been in the industry. for yeah. for 20 years, I've heard that. But to have a donor mother to also come and share her experience and talk about how the hospital and um, really tried to save her son's life to talk about all of the things that were done uh, in that particular process and when that process itself had exhausted how gift of life was able to come in and also you know have a very caring and concern and reverence for her son that makes a difference because now it's just not us giving information But it's us partnering with those persons that have had the experience and they are eyewitnesses to what has gone on. So I think that has been, you know, continues to to be so.
1: Yeah, I'm actually. One of the components I'm really impressed about that y'all do is not only are you getting out there and you're informing and you're giving real life stories and, like you said, an eyewitness account, but you're turning those people into community allies. Um, Yes. it's, It's hard, you know, in any kind of business to meet every ethnic group or every language barrier in just one company. So turning those community allies into your you know your advocates for donation and having people—it's it, just trust, and I'm very impressed yes. with that. And can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to do that?
3: Well, interesting one enough. Uh, one of our, uh, you know, uh, advocates I'm going to really lift up is um, Dr. Tara Defoe Griffin. She just got married over the weekend, so I have to kind of remember that new name to add. <laughs> but here's a person that um, I had probably met uh, ten years ago. Uh, prior to her um, getting involved in this, just saying that she believed that organ and tissue donation was a great thing to do, uh, encouraged her son to sign up on the organ donor registry, or I should have said, told her son to sign up on the organ donor registry. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that when sphere he, yeah. of influence. <laughs> there you go, that sphere <laughs> of influence, you know, that motherly thing, you know, you, you will do this. Uh-huh. Uh, but never, ever, you know, dreaming in 100 years. That six years later, her Mm -hmm. son would become an organ donor. And how she has taken that particular uh, tragic situation and transformed it into a platform to engage, um, not only talking about grief and pushing through um, and finding hope in situations, but by really becoming a strong advocate for organ and tissue donation. Um, she has single-handedly uh, done so many different things on um, in our professional education with our nurses and physicians and uh, community engagement because uh, she participates with us every year. Uh, we, we do a, a life walk run here. She's a runner and so therefore she uses that platform uh, to talk about it. She also uh, is involved with the city of Detroit and so she uh, has engaged the city of Detroit to do a lot of different things. And I'm sure we would not have been able to, you know, to, to uh, get done had it not been from her, for her. Yeah, those she's involved. Um, those advocates sorry, can be so powerful and open I mean, so doors powerful. that we can't. <laughs> and they open doors because, like you said, um, but it, I, I think, again, it's that constantly, um, building that trust, mm-hmm. and um, like I said, it's 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 a process that's constantly uh, evolving. And you know, you know, again, at first, at first she was kind of on the outskirts of just talking about the message, mm-hmm. and then she became an active participant of talking about the message. Then we brought her to the organization and I let her tour the organization so she could see. Uh, everything that's done and and we were able to answer (laughs) any questions and concerns that she might have you know and again that's that's one of the things that we constantly do in this let's talk and what we think about even we have done something with our funeral home directors of having them to come in and and say that you know we need you as as a part of this process as well. We need you because family members trust you. And so uh, just as you're in end of life care, so are we. And we work as a partnership um, in making sure that we take care of families the best way that we can. So we have tried to just engage any and everyone as a part of this um, Let's Talk campaign.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Now, um, you said that there is a video that you guys did that shows the process. Can you tell uh, tell us where we can
3: find that? Yes, you can find that at on the uh, Gift of Life Michigan website. It's www.golm.org, um, and it's up on our website. Uh, because once again, it's it was such a um, what we love about that particular video is that, like I said, it showcases the entire organization, from our C CEO all the way down. Um, and I think it was just—it's just a great way for people to kind of come in and say, you know, well, exactly what is a uh, a donation coordinator, or what is right. a family service coordinator. Um, what is this call center that people keep telling me about? And so uh, we're able to kind of let you kind of come in and see. See, these see are the components, the, yep. right? The faces these and the, the, the and faces. What's, what's happening
0: behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, Ramona, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing that. Um, I'm looking forward to I did not see that particular video, so I can't wait to check that out. And okay. uh, we'd love to hear uh, how things go as you continue to spread this program.
1: Okay,
3: okay. Well, we'll we'll be excited about sharing with you.
0: And now we'd like to take a moment for mental health.
2: Yes, yeah, Sarah, I see you want to talk about workplace stress. I'm, I'm curious because uh, I hear your bosses sometimes stress you out.
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm in the room with two bosses of mine. And so I just wanted y'all to really, really listen to what I'm about to say. All right. ears <laughs> are open. Mm. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to talk about is um, how to manage really your workplace stress. So first thing to know is that stress and stressors are different. So stressors can cause stress if you let them. So the first thing to manage your workplace stress is to identify your stressors at work. Um, That could be several things. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a very demanding job that demands a lot of your time away from your family. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe your work is monotonous. So maybe you work more clerical work and that can be a stressor. Maybe you're conflicting with someone at work. There's so many different things, but the first thing to do is identify it. And to know that it can be different for each person. So monotonous work might be a stressor for one person or it might be great for another person. So know that your stressors aren't everyone's stressors as well. Well, Yeah,
2: I I just clicked on my uh, email number and it's 172 just from being in this room here for the last couple hours. Uh So that's a stressor for me. (laughs) I've recognized it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so you identified that as a workplace stressor. Kirsten, do you have any workplace stressors? I got a TV interview tomorrow. Oh, that's always an <laughs> that extra stress for yeah. yeah, <laughs> Add <'cause>, some stress. <laughs> yeah, because that's important. And that's, you know, most of the time they're live. So that can be mm-hmm. pretty stressful for you. I do want to say you're amazing at those. So don't yes, stress too much. absolutely.
0: <laughs> I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> so um, once you identify it, the next thing you need to do is understand that everybody everybody has different needs at work. So for the most part, there's three basic needs. We need to feel competent. So we need to feel like we're good at what we do. That definitely helps. I know even mm-hmm. though I don't
0: like being on, on that side of the camera, mm-hmm. ha- knowing the material and, and yeah. knowing my subject
2: matter makes it easier. And you've helped me with those things, even with, you know, being in, in the front of a camera, right? N- helping reassure me about my competence, about the information that I'm giving and it. It really does make a big difference.
1: Yeah. Um, another thing is to know that you matter or the work you do matters, whether it's you work for a not for profit like we do that obviously matters what we do or, you know, you're providing and you're caring for your family from your work that matters. So mm-hmm. being able to recognize what I do matters can alleviate some stress. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is that we at work need to feel connected, whether that's at home, we need to feel connected when we get home from work mm-hmm. or we need to have something to connect to or someone to connect to at work can Really meet those basic needs and alleviate stress for us. Kind mm-hmm.
0: of having that peer support or mm-hmm. peer
1: support. Um, mentors are huge. Um, if you aren't a mentor or if you don't have a mentor, I would definitely recommend finding someone that you work with that can help you and you can help them because it really alleviates when those stressors like that thousand emails pop up. It mm-hmm. can really you know bring you back down to what you're doing.
2: I can I can relate in that. Uh, You know, I've been traveling quite a bit more than usual over the last Mm -hmm. three or four months. And uh, and you mentioned the connectivity. That's one of the things that actually stresses me the most uh, is that I feel, you know, because of the travel, I feel less connected. Mm -hmm. And and then it's there's just this extra level of stress because I haven't been connecting with you two or Mm -hmm. with some of the staff or, you know, with with the different employees uh, at LOPA. Or some of our, you know, uh, colleagues that we work with outside of LOPA. So just having that lack of of, or limited connectivity stresses me. So when I get back and I get settled in and I can find myself connecting with everyone again, it's funny how, you Mm -hmm. know, the stress level drops some. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So once you recognize that those are your needs for work, the next thing you do, like you said, is you adapt to that stressor. So you learn how to cope with it. Um, and that can be meeting your needs or that can be different things like taking a five-minute break every day to not check your email
2: mm-hmm. or
1: taking 15-minute break to check your email mm-hmm. and to catch up on those emails. So you have to adapt. Well, the second to,
2: one is definitely mine.
1: <laughs> to answer this, yeah. especially oh, with that many. Right. when you're yeah, in down, down to 60. Please don't ignore my emails. I really <laughs> need you to answer. <laughs> so, yeah. So you adapt to it. And then you either limit your time that you do those stressors or you find a task that will help you answer those stressors, will help you alleviate that stress. So, I mean, we all have stress. We all have work stressors. So really, this is about figuring out what it is, identify it, adapt to it, and remember what your basic needs are at work and meet those as much as you can.
0: Sounds good. Yep. If you have a topic for Ms. Sarah, please contact us at info at thegiftedlife.org.
1: In every episode of the Gifted Life podcast, we honor a hero. Today, we honor Emilio Defoe.
2: When Tara Defoe encouraged her then 18-year-old son Emilio to sign up at the Secretary of State's office to become an organ donor and place a red heart on his driver's license, she told him it was a good thing to do and explained it was the reason his grandmother had mismatched eyes. She didn't think that six years later, when a 10-hour surgery could not alleviate the bleeding in Emilio's brain after he had had a heart aneurysm. Someone would come talk to her about donation. Now, six people carry a part of him and she has been involved in outreach ever since her son's death in 2014. It's a continued work. It's truly a love story that will continue on because it continues going through someone else. With the major health challenges that take place in our city, organ donation is a form of that selfless act, that person's last selfless act.
0: And now we pause and say thank you to Emilio for the gift of life. All right, Joey, we've got a question for you. Is race important in matching organs to recipients?
2: Well, Kirsten, it's a complicated answer because it is a yes and a no. But I'll explain real quickly on what I mean. It kind of depends on the organ type with heart, lungs, liver. You don't have uh, such a specificity to match up uh, as you do a kidney. Kidney uh, matches run with not only the the blood type and the size and things, but they also use what we've mentioned in other podcasts, uh, an antigen matching hla antigen matching where you it's a lot more specific and of course people with the similar uh, ethnicities often carry these same antigens so in those situations yes uh there there will be a little closer match oftentimes it's not always the case but i'm just going in, in probabilities here yeah. oftentimes there will be a little closer match whereas it's not as important in the, uh, like I said, in the in the liver, lungs, heart, you know, mm-hmm. all the other organs, because it's really for them a lot more about blood type, size, you know, height, weight, and things like that.
0: So, Joey, is that kind of like, uh, I've heard that with bone marrow. Don't they need that HLA typing for bone
2: marrow? Right. We worked with BMATCH uh, earlier, and, uh, and yes, they, they do the same type of specific antigen HLA typing, so so that you'll see, again, a little more uh, uh, similarities in, in ethnicities with the certain HLA types.
0: And they're using that. That's when they talk about the perfect match. They're trying to get all those antigens to match up. Right. And as so much as sometimes possible. Sometimes it is a better match when it's people from the same ethnicity.
2: Right. And, and of course, when that happens and, and there is a better match, in general, you'll see uh, oftentimes less, at least a little bit less of the immunosuppressants on the back end for the recipients
1: gotcha all right great question um if you have a question for us go ahead and email us at info at thegiftedlife dot org, and you can also give us a call at
0: 504-648-3477 well guys i think that's a wrap for episode 130
2: yeah thanks to ramona chapman uh, and the whole Gift of Life Michigan team for their Let's Talk program and, and really digging further into some of the issues to provide transparency like they did. It was That was very innovative.
0: Yeah, and I encourage anyone to go to their website, www.golm.org, because they've got a lot
1: of video content on there. Mm-hmm. Definitely visit that. And if we have inspired you to register to be an organ, tissue, or eye donor, please go to registerme.org. You can listen to our podcast on our website or anywhere you listen to your podcast, whether it's iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Apple. If you do listen on Apple, please leave us a five-star rating and subscribe because it really helps others find us.
2: And if you're on social media, like our page on Facebook, the Gifted Life Podcast, and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod.
0: We hope this inspired you to do something you wouldn't normally do to help make Make life life happen.
1: happen. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.